Hello goblins and ghouls and welcome to another episode of my Haunted Life Podcast with me, your host, Angela Hartshorn. How are you all doing? I know a lot of people have been having an immensely rough time this last couple of weeks. You are not alone. Just hang in there. This too shall pass. Just remember that. This is definitely the time for some self-love and to take care of yourself. Don't forget to buy or make yourself something special this season. You know, in fact, tell us all about it over on the Facebook page. Also, for anyone interested in celebrating the winter solstice in their own home this year, I released a subscription box just for this time of year over on my other website, my main business, fog, F-O-G-G, couture.com. Everything is handmade in the box by me. There's a little mini Yule log, a Yule goat, and a couple of other fun little surprises. Every month I have a featured artist. This month is my darling friend, Rachel Powell of the Pickety Witch, who was on the podcast all the way back in season one, episode two, if I remember correctly. She has contributed her absolutely stunning Yule Goat enamel pins. So uh, a lot of goats in this one. I was definitely inspired with my conversation with Kedrick last week. So we are just going to go ahead and get back into it. This week, again, I have the wonderful Kedrick Olson back to continue our discussion on the darker side of the Yuletide season. And today we have some of my absolute favorites. So let's get into it, shall we? Grab yourself a cup of tea. Make sure the doors are locked and the sage is close by. I have a story to tell you. So we are back for part two of our creepy Yuletide creatures with my buddy, Kedrick Olson. And, hey. Hmm? I just said hey. Oh, yeah. Uh, and just real quick, quick refresher. If you ever need to know anything Norse, Norse spirituality, mysticism, um, um, Pagan men's spirituality, this is your man right here. And I'll get all the contact information as well from you. And that nice. he, he's really big into the Norse literature, old Norse, I should say, uh, literature and spirituality. And he uh, focuses on runes and magical practices. And that's why he's a part of this. 
We also have to blame your daughter, once again. Because I can. <laughs> Love you, Phelan. So, uh, last week we talked about, I'm going to try it, Krampus and Gorilla and the Yule Cat and the Yule Lads, which are just, I love them. They're just so weird. Uh, let, um, I'm looking at the list. Let, let's go with Yule Goat. We have the, let's go with the Yules. Let's get all the Yules out of the way. Let's, sure. What is up with the Yule Goat? Oh, the Yule Box. Uh, it is the goat. Yep. It is typically a goat made out of straw. And what this has been thought of is Thor, the Norse god, has a chariot pulled by two goats, Tang Yost and Tang Grisser. Basically, a tooth grinder and tooth gnasher okay. is really kind of what that means. And they pull his chariot around. And Thor is thought of as one of the versions of the Santa character going around giving gifts and giving presents. Because Thor is also a protector god. This is where a lot of our understanding in the U.S. in the modern time about Thor is way off. Is he's not some blonde-haired, dippy guy <laughs> with a hammer that nobody can pick up, just, you know, fighting aliens from another planet. <laughs> Thor, in the lore, yes, he's brutish and he's hostile. He does tend to act before he thinks, but what he does is to protect the people and the gods. He's a protector god. Mm -hmm. He's not a war god. He's protecting people. And he does that through aggressive, hostile action. And with the Yuletide, when you've got the storms, when you've got all the demons, you've got all the ghosts, you've got all the scary things running around, you're going to call on Thor for protection. And so if you could put a Yule Bok out, you know, decorated goat, maybe that would be like kind of like the equivalent of a uh, jack-o'-lantern to scare off the ghosts and the nasty beasties because they see a goat out there, it's a big goat, maybe Thor's here, let's stay away. Oh. So that's kind of the idea of what it is. Now I want but, a giant straw goat outside my door. Oh, yeah. That sounds amazing. And in keeping with the Burning Man tradition, in Sweden, every year, they build a giant Yule Bok, a, a giant, huge one, like Burning Man size. Now, the idea of it is not to burn it, okay. but every year, in the middle of the night, somebody always sneaks into it, sneaks up to it, and sets the thing on fire. Why? Because it's straw, and you can't, but why? Because <laughs> it is our typical Germanic Norse Yule traditions to be pranksters, to cause mayhem, and to just kind of go crazy. Okay. Which is... What happened to the Yule Bok? Like we talked about last time, when people would dress up as animals and go around cavorting and having their pagan rituals, well, the same thing happened with the Yule Bok. People would dress up as the Yule Bok. Yeah. They'd be the goat, and they would go around house to house to house, and, you know, sometimes they would deliver gifts, sometimes they were the prankster. Sometimes they would come to your house singing... Christmas carols, acting like jokes, and just being a dick. <laughs> <laughs> I, I never knew that with the Yule Goat. Because I've seen, like, old pictures of somebody dressed up and 
never flattering Yule Goat costume. Like, they're always slightly creepy looking. And I don't know if it's just a goat on a human body. It just doesn't make sense. I don't know. But, um, no, I had no idea that they had this prankster side as well. I just thought, you know, goats this time of year, you know, it makes sense. But... Well, this is what leads into one of the fun Germanic traditions that even as in England and Welsh, Wales, Wales, Welsh, yes, it's in Welsh, it's in Wales. It's <laughs> You're in, getting my <laughs> pronunciations of things down. <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm stealing your pronunciation. <laughs> is this the idea of going around house to house to house and tormenting people, being rowdy, being rude, in order to get, oddly enough, gifts more like a bribe to get away from here yeah and so you know in scandinavia the christmas tradition they would wear their masks or costumes and go to door to door and they would sing the christmas songs you know <laughs> caroling right and we think of caroling in the u.s oh these wonderful people going door to door singing and we'll give them some hot chocolate no <laughs> they were going door to door TPing your house, oh, no. you know, torturing your lawn, messing things up, singing drunken Christmas songs <laughs> to annoy the crap out of you so that you would get the holiday treats and then they'd move on to the next house. This sounds so much better. I'm just going to throw that out there. I feel like, um, like our image of carolers is that you know, that classic Victorian, like, I feel like so much of our Christmas tradition comes from the industrial era when everything is so much more disconnected from nature and suddenly and everything is easier and we can have a nice winter and we can celebrate Christmas without worrying about starving to death kind of thing and everything's pretty and furs and we can sing and it just gets weird, but I'm like, Aw, you'll go. Also a bastard. Kind of disappointed now. <laughs> yup. And in Wales, they do a variation on that one called Mary Lewid. Yes! I love this guy! When I saw him on the list, I got very excited. Yeah, it's the same kind of concept, but this time instead of a goat, it's a horse skull. Yes! Now there's some ancient tradition to the horse skull, too. I was going to ask you if you knew why it was a horse skull. In the Norse times, when you would cast a curse upon a person, it was called the nithing. Okay. And to cast this nithing upon a person, you would raise a nithstang. And a nithstang was a pole stuck in the ground near a river or a lake. And on top of that, you would put a horse skull, usually painted with runes and cursing staves. And then you would turn that horse skull to face in the direction of the person. And a very common curse to do with a nistang is to make the fairy folk, the hidden folk, the, the land spirits, unsettled and disturbed and disrupted until they finally extracted revenge on that person. So those spirits would go to the person's house Damn. and either destroy their house, mess things up, or kill them. And finally, when that was done, then the land spirits could have their peace and their happiness and their contentment again. Wow. That was the whole point of the nithstang. I'm the like, knitting. 
you know, cursing somebody is one thing, but having the faith folk go after them, damn. Exactly. <laughs> like, I've never heard that. That's amazing. I mean, horrific and awful, and I'm not saving that for later. But, <laughs> wow, okay, okay. So then you build on this nithstein, this nithing curse, paired with the anthropomorphic animal dancing, mm-hmm. paired with the Yulebach, the Yulebachers going house to house, and then you get the whole mishmash of that together with Mary Lewid, where you go in groups with one person usually dressed up as Mary Lewid, where they go door-to-door singing these horrible, awful Christmas songs, demanding to get gain entry to the person's house. Now, this is a kind of a fun back and forth. The people inside the house have to come up with excuse after excuse after excuse not to allow the revelers into their home, to which the revelers have to have some response back to it. So there's this nice back and forth. And eventually the homeowners run out of excuses, so they have to admit entry to Mary Lewitt and all the revelers. <laughs> and once they're in the house, Mary Lewitt goes crazy in the house, oh. causing a ruckus, knocking things over. And one of the men there is supposed to pretend to be trying to restrain Mary Lewitt while everybody is continuing their drunken caroling and cavorting and eating and drinking and being rowdy and disruptive. Sounds amazing. Oh my God. Eventually, they get their fill of food and drink, and guess what? They move to the next house to do it all over again. do that but i just don't want them to come to my house i want to be like the reveler or the people next door that get to watch the chaos i can't imagine my cats appreciating that there is i i need to find it again but there is really cool footage i think from the 20s or 30s maybe 40s i can't remember it's older but it's not like turn of the century um where they went out and filmed the revelers going around to the houses with the Mary Lewid on a stick. You can't understand anyone because they're all Welsh and it's like that ancient Welsh that it's like there's way too many letters to make a word kind of thing. And it's it's just, it's really cool. I'm going to have to find it for the podcast group and I'll send it to you too. But it's just nice. a really cool like primary document of watching these people going around doing this ancient tradition. It's really, and it's such a... It's such a weird one, but now the now I understand why the horse skull a little bit more. And you know, this whole thing eventually got cleaned up a little bit as we start moving towards the Victorian era, and even even some of the old times. And we have the tradition of wassailing or wassailing, mm-hmm. and wassail is a typical Yule drink. You know, it's kind of like a mead or a wine or a beer that has the the fruits and the, the spices in it, but just like Mary Lewitt and the Yulebachers, wow, that sounds like a, a band name, Mary Lewitt and the Yulebachers. I was say, that was pretty good, I like that. Yeah, they go door to door to door singing annoying songs to get the wassail from the people who live there, and if you don't get it, then they stand there, which is where you get that line from that we wish you a Merry Christmas, give us some figgy pudding, give it to us right now. That's a carryover from that harassing the homeowners to give you all the goods so that you leave them alone. Oh, 
that's so funny. Yeah, so Christmas caroling wasn't this nice, happy time. It was harass your neighbors, disguise your voice, wear costumes so they can't recognize you. It's like the original trick-or-treat done right. I was going to say, this sounds so familiar, and I wonder why. Yeah, but it's not like give us a treat or we'll trick your house. It's we're going to trick the heck out of you until you give us a treat, and then we'll go away. That's so funny. No, I, I want to bring this back. I don't know how, and I don't like half of my neighbors, but I, I want to figure out how to do this, at least with friends, because it just sounds like fun. <laughs> And you could say, hey, it's traditional Yuletide, uh, Yuletide tradition, traditional Christmas traditions, traditional Christmas, uh, here we go, I'm going on the, your pronunciation again, See? traditional You've Christmas traditions. you me too long already. <laughs> so yeah, hey, just tell your neighbors, hey, we're having a traditional Yule. <laughs> yeah, that's how I get run out of the new apartment really quick. Um, <laughs> won't be the first time. But um, I wanted to ask you, when we were talking about the Yule Goat and uh -huh. uh, going back to Thor, um, I remember I had college professors that were convinced the image of Santa Claus came from Odin. So I thought that was really interesting that you said Thor instead of Odin. It is. There, the thing about the Norse culture is there is no standardization across the board. There's absolutely none. You will find the same holiday time period because we're following the seasonal cycles, but different deities honored in different ways for those same cycles, depending on what country, what village you're in, all of that kind of thing. It, it's variations on a theme. And so absolutely, sometimes it's Odin riding across the Yule Nights that visits the house, dropping off the gifts, and sometimes it's Thor doing the same thing. Hmm. And here's the fun, fun thing. This is really fun. You know how we talked about during the Old Norse times, you would be locked in the long hall. You had nowhere to go. Yeah. You would probably have snow up to the rafters of the house. You really couldn't open your door. Hmm. And so you would have an opening in the roof for the smoke to go out. That would be it for your air and everything. That's it. Oh, my God. There is a theory that during this time period, a Norse shaman would walk with his snowshoes across the snow through the villages and drop little gifts through that opening in the roof Aww. to the people inside that home. And the gifts that he would leave is Amanita muscaria mushrooms. Oh, fly agaric. No. So they would all just be having uh, psychedelics for fun. They'd be tripping the balls for Christmas. They'd be tripping balls because they got <laughs> nothing better to do. Now, yeah. outside of the Coca-Cola reference, this is where some people say that Santa got his traditional red and white clothes. Oh. From the red and white design of the Amanita muscaria mushroom. Oh. Well, that's and, <laughs> a whole different spin. And this is how Santa drops gifts through the chimney because of the smoke hole in the longhouse, in the long hall. Makes sense, going down the chimney. Uh-huh. Oh, and then he's flying. He's literally high. He's literally, oh yeah, I, I don't know about your audience, but there are tales of, you know, witches flying. Yeah. 
is all about flying ointment mm -hmm. put on the end of a broom and the broom inserted. Yep. So you gotta be careful this, with those uh, open orifices there. Splinters. That too. <laughs> yes. So yeah, flying and reindeer. Reindeer are very prominent in this part of the world. They're a food staple, so of course Santa's got reindeer. That makes sense. Um, I'm trying to remember. There was something with, I want to say Donner and Blitzen. And it... Blitzen said... Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Uh, it took me a second there to put the pieces together. In the Norse countries, in the Scandinavian countries, Thor is called Thor. But when you get to the Germanic countries in the mainland, his name is Donar, or Donner. Okay. And Blitz is the German word for lightning. And Thor is the god of thunder. Not necessarily lightning, but, you know, thunder and lightning go together. Yeah. So yeah, Donner, Blitzen, there are kind of personifications of Thor in that way. See, I, there's all these hidden little paganistic things in almost every uh, um, Christmas tradition. I think it was the last podcast. You talked about bringing the evergreens inside. Yep. And Christmas trees. And from what I understand, the bulbs that we have on Christmas trees mm -hmm. are from an old Celtic tradition, not the Norse tradition, but a Celtic tradition of honoring the warriors that you slayed in battle by hanging their head from a tree. I didn't know this! So if you want to start hanging little severed heads from your tree, that's perfectly traditional too. I totally want to make traditional severed heads. God, I cannot talk tonight. Ornaments for my tree now. That sounds amazing. And you can just tell your kids' friends, hey, it's traditional Yule. <laughs> Um, my poor kids. When we eventually have them, they will be so damaged. <laughs> so yeah, we're totally destroying the peace, love, and light, happy, sappy Christmas all the way around. We're turning it into the scary, dark, fun stuff for, for all you goth kids out there. Right? I mean, it, it makes sense with it, you know, obviously being the dark of the year and everything. But there's just, there's just so much to it. Um, I was going to say, like, I think I said in the last one, you know, when you really look at uh, fairy lore and really go back, fairies are not nice. No. No. They're really not nice. They're not these pretty glossomer wing, pretty princess things. No, they'll eat your face or make you go insane. And uh, I swear, when it comes, they get worse based off of terrain, I think. Mm -hmm. So if it's more mountainous, you get, like, the scary trolls and ogres type of thing. Uh, I mean, you can go into, like, Scotland where there's water everywhere and there's five million different types of water creature that will drown you in a heartbeat. Oh, yeah, the Nikon? Absolutely. I always like Kelpies. I don't know why. This is my jam. But, um, yeah. Uh, I know also on our Christmas list, before we get 
totally derailed, you have uh, the Wild Hunt as well. And I wanted to go back to that. So, uh, what is the Wild Hunt for those that might not know? That's a perfect segue because the Brothers Grimm also wrote about the Wild Hunt and what the possibilities of that could be. So again, let me paint you a picture of Yule in the northern climates of Scandinavia and northern Europe. It's cold. It's dark. There's snow everywhere. Everything is locked up with ice. You're lucky if you could get out of your house. There's no way you're getting out of your village. There's no way. If you don't have everything that you need for the winter nailed down, locked up into the building that you're staying in, you're dead. If you don't have a secure building and it falls down or you lose a wall, you're dead. One of the things that really wreaked havoc upon people at this time period, no matter how well they protected themselves, no matter what their stores were like, no matter what they did to make sure the winter worked out well, they couldn't stop the storms. Mm-hmm. And if you had a wild, raging storm that would destroy your buildings, you're dead. And these storms were personified as the wild hunt. Now, sometimes these were the spirits of the dead, because this is the time when the veil was the thinnest. There's no sun to scare the dead away. So you have all manner of dead and trolls and ogres and giants raging across the sky, raging across the lands, tearing up houses, destroying trees. And this is how the Norse and these people of these times, really, no matter just the Norse, but anybody at this time period, understood the world. They didn't understand air pressure and barometer dropping, any of that kind of stuff. To them, it was evil spirits destroying things, and they needed protection from it. And they thought this was the wild hunt, that there were these vicious creatures out there. And of course, they would call on Thor to try to protect them. But... There are variations on a theme all over the place. Sometimes it was the dead. Sometimes it was ogres and trolls. Sometimes it was the gods themselves. Hmm. Odin leading the charge of the wild hunt across the Yule Yule Nights, where he had his band, the Valkyria, the the Valkyries, in accompanying with him. He had the Inherior, the great eternal warriors, that would accompany him. Or there are all sorts of manner of gods, you know, Thor... And all the gods would accompany Odin as he raged across the sky. Now, this lends very well to the Santa imagery. That if you have the wild hunt raging on and Odin stops by your house, leave Sleipnir, his horse, his eight-legged horse Sleipnir, Mm -hmm. leave him your shoes outside filled with oatmeal or some sort of grains so he could feed it to the horse. Leave Odin some sort of an offering so that the wild hunt doesn't destroy your home or take anybody away. And there are variations all over the place. Like if you were to go out and witness the wild hunt, you would get sucked up into it, taken into the wild hunt. If you chose to cooperate with the hunt, you could be rewarded and brought back home. If you chose to oppose the hunt and leave it alone, you'd be found dead. Of course, these are nice little ways of telling about somebody venturing out into a storm Mm -hmm. on a winter night, losing their way, and never finding their way back to where they needed to be while they were taken up by the wild hunt. The gods got them. He went up, and of course they were never found. Well, then Odin took him to Valhall because he was a worthy warrior in the wild hunt. So that was his reward. 
So there are just all of these different explanations of dealing with the storms that ravaged the lands at that time period was the wild hunt. Because hmm. for me, I'm, I'm a big Samhain. Samhain's my jam. And that's when I think of the wild hunt. And I never thought, I've never have heard it attributed to the winter time. It's one of those, well, duh, that totally makes sense kind of moments again. But, huh. Yep. Someone just goes stir-crazy, and it's like, no, the wild hunt took him. I, I kind of like that. Yeah, unfortunately in the Norse, there are some ways of uh, explaining things off, you know. One of the, I think, the saddest tales of the Norse, no matter what time of year it is, is the changeling. Yeah. Is when, yeah, when you have a baby that a troll or some other fairy folk switches out your baby for that that other child. And if you really read carefully the descriptions of the changeling child, it's a child that had like autism yeah. or some other kind of disfigurement like that. And the parents would just, they would unfortunately torture the child because sometimes they said that the way that you get them to get the child back is you torture it, make it scream and cry till the troll's parents say, oh, here you go. Or they leave the, the baby out in the cold to die. And yeah. Sometimes leaving it out to die may have actually been the kinder thing to do because it was a tough time to live. Yeah. It was really harsh to live. And if you weren't at your full faculties, not always the case. You know, the Norse lore does tell us that people with handicaps, there are beneficial to society. They can still do things. But maybe if a child was just too far disfigured, too far gone, then maybe. But still, it's sad to hear these tales of a changeling when you know today that some a child that could be cared for. Oh, yeah. Uh, also, I've seen it attributed to uh, postpartum depression. That yes. there's nothing wrong with your child, really, but not understanding the psychology and, you know, that, I mean, depression that can come over a woman after pregnancy, and she would think something happened to her baby. So another uh, story with changelings, which is just, no matter what, changelings are just sad. <laughs> Completely sad. Yeah. <laughs> if you look them up, prepare to be really disappointed. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're some of the saddest parts of folklore. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm like, okay, totally going back to the cheeriness of all the Christmas stuff, which hasn't been cheery <laughs> at all. I'm trying to think of any other um, decorations or traditions around uh, like our like tradition, modern traditional Christmas that have pagan roots. Sure. Well, like we were talking about, Yule tends to be twelve days long. Mm -hmm. This is where we get the twelve days of Christmas from. And every night in the Norse tradition, there was something that was that had some significance to it. Some will talk about that the start of winter is Mother's Night where you hold a special ritual in honor of Frigga, or Frigg, Odin's, uh, Odin's wife. And this is where you honor mothers for the gifts that they bring to the world and the joys that they give. And so it was a very nice, wonderful time to honor the matriarchs of the family because in the Norse tradition, the woman owned the house. Mm -hmm. The woman owned everything in the house. That was her domain. You know, in modern times we say, a man's home is his castle. 
in the Norse time, yeah. a woman's home was her castle. That was hers. And so uh, when she served people, that was not her serving because it was her duty. That was her way of saying, you're welcome in my home. I accept you because I am offering you my resources that are mine, and I am willing to give you this hospitality of my own free will. And so we that gift for a gift, because of the gift of the hospitality of the mothers and the homeowners, then that was honored back to them on Mother's Night. Hmm. I mean, I think that's a sweet way to kick it off. Really? Yeah. Like, I know my mom would appreciate that, probably. And then there's, of course, the big Yule feast, right? We, this is, everything you have is crammed into this one building. You build up your resources and you are, have one, three nights of feast, you know, multiple nights of feast, wherever you are, where you're drinking your beer, you're drinking your mead, you've got your wine reserves, you've got a huge stockpile. And so you do have the feast night. And on feast night, there's a few little fun traditions that they do. When the ham is brought out or the pig is brought out, a man will put his hand on it, hopefully he washes it, will <laughs> put his hand on it and then make an oath for the next year of the things that he wants to bring forward to the world. Aww. There are rounds of drinking that go around. They do a round of horns yes. to honor Odin so that you can have you know, the, the prosperous new year, another round of Thor for protection of the new year, and a round to Frere, which is for the fertility and growth and abundance for the new year. And then you do what is called the Bragerful, which is where you can do an oath or you do some sort of an honoring of people with this, this last round. And you could even do an additional round to honor the dead. So these were typical, you know, the horn would go around, people would be doing their loud rounds of hail and screaming and mm-hmm. cheering. And of course, the Yule log. Yes. You know, this was holding vigil against the night. So they would keep fires going, they would keep the log burning the entire night so that they could hold vigil against the darkness, lest they would face Ragnarok, mm-hmm. the end of the world, coming to them. Evergreens were brought into the house because they were, you know, a sign of that ever-living ever life. Uh, eventually, candles were put onto them so that we could keep vigil with the, the darkness. But, uh, but those are really a lot of the traditions that we have. Gift-giving was big back then. Of course, you know, you get the, cl- the gift of clothes mm-hmm. so that the Yule cat doesn't eat you. But <laughs> generosity was a huge thing back then. So they would do the gift-giving. And the offering of... Uh, something for Odin and Schleifnir or to Thor so that they could give you the gifts. Gift demands a gift, the Norse Norse terms say. So a lot of these Christmas traditions that we have, including Christmas caroling, come from one way or another, the old Norse tradition, Mm -hmm. old pagan practices. Totally random question. Off the wall, just kind of clicked in my head just now. The Yule Log. Why did it be, like, there's a traditional chocolate cake at Yule Log now. I guess not now, it's old. Why did it become edible? I don't know. Okay. Because some cake oh my company God. wanted to make something, you know. 
I have, I have to tell you, your owl is like exactly what Phelan does. Perfect copy. I was imitating her. Yeah, no, that was that was perfect. Oh my god. I was going to say she got it from you totally, but I like that better. And no, uh, what is that? Insanity is inherited? You get it from your kids? Ha! Don't tell my mother that. <laughs> She'll get a kick out of that one. So, yeah, I think we really have hit almost everything. It's just like, I'm, I'm trying to pull up the email. I totally have lost it. Um, oh, yeah, we covered everything on my yeah. my. My outline and list of things to talk about. Yeah. Um, real quick, uh, yeah. a basic thing. When is Yule? Uh, people will debate that all the time, and actually it became outlawed for a while because there, there were really actually laws that said you could not decorate for Christmas before the 24th because it was a way of stamping out the pagan tradition of Yule. Oh. You could only decorate the 24th and the 25th, and you're done. That's it. Because it's a Christian holiday of Christ's Mass, Mm -hmm. and that's it. But there are debates all over the place. Some say that it starts on the winter solstice and then goes into the new year. Some say it ends the new year, and then you go 12 days before that. But it's really, you know, it's that 12-day cycle through there. And what I would really like to look at it as is what we talked about, that time period where the Earth is at its lowest of energy. If you start from the solstice and you move to the astronomical term of aphelion, when the sun is as far, well, the Earth is as far away from the sun as possible, okay. that period of time, it's 12 to 13 days between solstice and aphelion. That makes sense to me to be the logical time frame for Yule. Whether that's the 21st to the 1st or the 19th through the 3rd or whatever, you know? Just that time frame. Because it it does. It does jump, and that always helps. And, like, I'm working on a a Yule subscription box, and I always put the date for the holiday coming up, because it's all holiday-based. And I'm like, you would probably be the one to have a good uh, explanation of that for me. And my answer is just as wishy-washy as it yeah. ever has been throughout all the time. Meh. Eh. Those 12 days, whenever. It depends. Look it up this year. Changes all the time. Kind there of are even some people that reckon by the old, old calendar that these 12 days of Yule were between calendar days. That was the end of one year before the beginning of the other year. So this was a time between time. This was liminal time. Which is just like liminal space when you're ritual space. That's where you can yeah. commune with the spirits. Well, this was a time when spirits had free run because it was between one year and the next. You're in between. Oh, see, that I like. That's cool. Well, thank you so much again, sir. Oh my god, this was so much fun. I can't believe we got two podcasts out of it. I'm not surprised when I got your email, but thank you so much. Uh, is there anything else you would like? to uh promote with you how if people want to contact you um anything like that any questions or thoughts just look for my name kadrick i'm on instagram youtube facebook all over the place my website is kadrick.com where i've got 
different rune, rune programs that you could study, different online classes for that one. I'm building an online shadow clearing class so you can get into Ooh. the depths of the darkness of your soul to, to clear out the shadows or I do paranormal work, you know, seances, seance training, house clearing, all that kind of stuff. You'll find all of that kind of information on my website with katrick.com. I'm going to make sure to get all those links as well so everybody can find them. And thank you so much again, sir, and happy Yuletide. Happy Yuletide to you. Thank you so much again for listening to another episode of my Haunted Life podcast. You're one amazingly great Mary Lude. A big thank you to Kadrick Olson for being on the podcast once again and sharing his knowledge with us. You can find out more about him and all of the paranormal and Norse mysticism work he does on his website, kadrick.com. That's K-A-E-D-R-I-C-H.com. If you like the podcast, please rate and review me on your favorite podcast apps. The Facebook group is chugging away. We're having fun over there. And remember, if you want to help the show out, check on our Patreon page. I promise to really start working on that here. And that's about all I got. Oh, and if you want to uh, find one of my subscription boxes and can't, just email me. I'll help you out. So that's it. I will see you guys next week. Bye.